The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a, a folktale uh, from India that you may have heard uh, about a group of blind men and an elephant. And the, the tale goes like this, that these men approach this, this unfamiliar entity and they disperse to inspect it by touch. And one of the men grabs hold of the trunk and says it's, it's a leathery winding coil. This is a snake. But another of the men has hold of the ear and said, no, no I think you're mistaken. This is clearly a large fan of some kind. One more had his, his hands resting upon the legs, thick and, and round. It says, no, no, you're, you're both wrong. This is clearly the trunk of a massive tree. To the man with his hand on the elephant's side, it's a wall. The one holding the tail, a rope. The tusk, a spear. You get the gist. None of them see the elephant for what it truly is in its totality. None of us see the whole picture. And it's this parable used to illustrate the, the narrow scope of our perception and our objectivity that, that we can often see or, or quite often only choose to see from our, a particular vantage point, perhaps unaware of its limitations, its assumptions, its biases. This is a snake, right? And we live in a world in which powerful interests, politicians, corporations, advertisers, news conglomerates, religious leaders, social media so-called influencers are, are only too happy to prey upon and to profit from the dissension and the confusion. They encourage it. You're exactly right, Mike, this is a snake. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise, they're lying. We're inundated by forces that seek to pit us against one another or to stubbornly cling to information that is at best incomplete, to distrust one another, to fear one another, to hate one another. And so those of you who were with us throughout the pandemic know that our team was continuing to work with great intention to, to cultivate connection and spiritual growth as we were apart from one another. And, and one of my personal favorite things to get to lead during that season uh, was a discipleship group that, that I called Sacred Frames, uh, exploring the intersection of faith and, and film uh, and the redemptive themes coursing through a variety of, of cinematic stories. And so you can imagine my excitement then when I heard that, that Pastor Sean and Pastor Chris in planning the teaching calendar for the early part of this year uh, had decided to revisit uh, this, uh, this idea as the uh, basis for a series that will continue over the next few weeks. Uh, you may have heard Pastor Sean lead us last week through that classic uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, but this presented an immediate problem for me so the social media platform that I, I spend the most time on by far is called Letterboxd, and, and we don't need to get into it, but you can uh, log the films you've seen and, and talk with others about movies and post reviews and uh, et cetera. And, and according to my Letterboxd page, I have watched over 2,300 different films over the course of my lifetime. I've got my movie theater popcorn socks on today. Um, how could I, I possibly choose just one to discuss, and, and you could argue that, that over 2,000 films is, is too many. You would probably be right. There are certainly at least a couple hundred that I could have reasonably skipped. And, and uh, you know, at the risk of, of you, know, you all not looking me, at me like I'm a, a more of a highbrow film snob than you already assume, I will refrain of mentioning those, those 200, 300 that I could have skipped. Uh, 
But when people ask me why movies have always been this, this object of fascination, devotion for me, I generally come back to something that was said by the departed beloved film critic, Roger Ebert. And he, he said this, that, that we're all born with a, a certain package where we are who we are, where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. And we're sort of stuck inside that person. And the purpose and civiliz of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people, find out what makes them tick, what they care about. And for me, movies are like a machine that generates empathy. If it's a great movie, it lets you understand a little bit more about what it's like to be a different gender, a different race, a different age, a different economic class, a different nationality, a different profession, different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. And so film, like any art, has the powerful potential to shift our vantage points, allow us to see the world through fresh eyes, perhaps in a way that we've been resistant to, to grow in empathy and affection for the other. Sean taught us last week about this idea about developing love for our neighbors and even our, our enemies. He, he reminded us that we have agency in our affections, which suggests that, that they can be nurtured, grown, shaped, that they can be transformed, that empathy can be practiced, it can be strengthened. And it's vital that we do so, especially at a time in which humanity as a, as a collective is so divided and distrustful of one another. And, and there's a genre of, of movies that, uh, to me, in particular, most evocatively depicts the anxieties and the, and the fears which, which human beings are often prone to have of, of the, the unknown, the unfamiliar, the other. And, and that's in the realm of, of science fiction. You know, we make the, the alien invasion literal. And these stories generally fall into, into one of two categories. There are the stories in which the intentions of the visitors are quickly revealed to be hostile, thus proving our fears valid. You can keep going through the sides, Ian. And then there are those in which they come in peace, so to speak. Next slide. The visitors are innocent or benevolent, but always misunderstood. And the encounter requires us to re reconsider our assumptions and to lower our guard and to become willing to see the world and our place in it in a, a new way. And so, th so this movie definitely falls into the latter category, but admit it, some of you just wanted to see something blow up. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, it was well-regarded, but, but perhaps underseen uh, when it was released in the fall of 2016. The film is called Arrival, which, yes, I will relate to Jesus. Trust me. <laughs> among my very favorite films, and certainly among the, uh, those in the past decade, this is a, a story about the nature of time, memory, grief, and the tension between the, the, the interwovenness of our humanity and our unshakable tendency toward conflict. S small things. So Amy Adams plays Dr. Louise Banks. She's a professor of linguistics, language. And the, and the film opens with an extended prologue depicting the loss of her teenage daughter to a rare illness. 
And as the story begins in proper, Louise is called upon by the government to help translate an alien language after 12 extraterrestrial vessels have mysteriously appeared and are hovering over these various places on earth. They're not attacking, but their intentions remain unclear. However, each of these uh, extraterrestrial crafts, they're, they're allowing a brief window uh, of, at regular intervals inside. And it seems that Louise is perhaps uniquely qualified to discover a means of communicating with these, these alien beings, these, these, these heptopods. Stay with me. These, these heptopods. <laughs> they speak, in a sense, by emitting these complex series, these, these rings of suspended ink. And following an initial contact, Louise explains the need to rethink the team's approach. You're going to teach them your name and Ian's. Yes, so that we can learn their names if they have names and then introduce pronouns later. These are all grade school words. Eat, walk. Help me understand. No, 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 not the top. Okay, this is where you want to get to, right? That is the question. Okay, so first we need to make sure that they understand what a question is. Okay, the nature of a request for information along with the response. Then we need to clarify the difference between a specific you and a collective you because we don't want to know why Joe Alien is here. We want to know why they all landed. And purpose requires an understanding of intent. We need to find out, do they make conscious choices or is their motivation so instinctive that they don't understand a why question at all? And, and biggest of all, we need to have enough vocabulary with them that we understand their answer. I get it. Stick to your list. So maybe the irony not, not be lost on us, asking the purpose in the presence of another when we so greatly wrestle with understanding our own, right? So building a bridge toward mutual understanding requires humility. It means relinquishing our need to, de uh, to demand the terms by which relationship might occur, admitting that, that maybe we don't have all the answers, recognizing that, that we have work to do an openness to learn. It means curiosity. It means patience. This will take time. It also requires, as Louise soon realizes, risking vulnerability. And so they, they return to the ship shortly thereafter in the hopes of making some additional progress. And this is what happens next. What is that? Is that a new symbol? I can't tell. <sighs> Dr. Banks? Hey, 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 what are you doing? Yeah, fine. They need to see me. Take it off her hat, Dr. Banks. Is it okay? They need to see me. Dr. Banks, she's walking towards the screen. <sighs> Huh? <gasps> 
introduction. Sorry if I made you jump. <laughs> Now that's a proper introduction, she says. Face to face, or, or sort of face, face to tentacle. But taking off her suit is, is removing a, a literal barrier, but also an important figurative one. As if to say, I, I'm not afraid of you. They need to see me. The, the walls come down and it works. And this is a, a huge breakthrough. And as Louise and the team continue to develop a trust and, and a vocabulary building with these aliens, they, they come to learn that the heptapods have arrived with an offer. The problem is, is that what they are offering has been translated to mean weapon. And the same offer has been made to each of the 12 sites around the world. And geopolitics being what they are, I probably don't need to tell you that there is very little cooperation among these nations, each of them keen to keep this weapon, whatever it may be, for themselves, and certainly to keep it out of the hands of their enemies. But patience is running thin, and in, in an act of fear and desperation, a, a rogue agent triggers an explosion at one of the sites, killing one of the alien visitors and creating a, a wave of, of confusion and, and panic after each nation, after another, ceases all communication. These are continued echoes of the Babel story, the splintering of humanity, all, all the way back in Genesis 11, following the great flood. The descendants of Noah are, are setting about building the, the first civilization envisioned as a, a unified kingdom. And this is how the story goes, is that now the whole earth had one language and, and the, the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And so the people were, were unified but they were unified in the exaltation of themselves, taking God out of the equation entirely. And it goes on, it says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they're as one people and they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city and therefore it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so either God is being insecure and vindictive because his creation seems to no longer have any need of him or God has a different plan. God has a much better plan. In the film, now realizing or fearing retaliation from the aliens, the, the, the people are waiting to see how they will respond to this unprovoked violence. What they don't realize is that the weapon being offered is really a tool. It's access to their language. We learn that the heptapods perceive time in a different way 
than humans do, that, that past and present and future are all unfolding at once. And they have foreseen that a time will come, millennia in the future, that in which they will need humanity's help, which is why they are here in their present, which is also their past. You follow? But unlocking their language unlocks this gift. And crucially, Louise's partner, Ian, discovers that each site has only received 8.3% of this code. As a fraction, one of 12. Some assembly required, Louise says. 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. 12 apostles called to mission by Jesus, all the way to the end of Revelation, 12 fruits upon the tree of life, 12 vessels scattered across the world. The Babel story is not about a God jealous for our attention, but that the plan was always that the unity, the reconciliation of humanity would be through our God-given diversity, not in spite of it. We need one another. And so as she has been from the beginning, the most in tune with these visitors, Louise becomes the first to receive this gift. It's a, it's a moment echoing the descent of the Holy Spirit as a rushing wind, this kind of otherworldly Pentecost. Here's the scene. happens on the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire come to rest on those gathered, having arrived from every corner of the region, and then they're bewildered and astonished, each hearing one another speaking as though in their own tongue. The gift of unity, it's Babel reversed. And through a, a few time-bending tricks, too convoluted for me to really do justice describing uh, Louise is able to, to avert global catastrophe and her breakthrough study and, and sharing of this gift become a critical turning point in the course of this imagined version of the human story. But what does this mean for us, you might ask? I propose that it's this. So while Jesus begins to turn toward what he knows awaits him, he continues to prepare his friends for his inevitable departure. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. For I will, I will send you, the Father will send you an advocate, a helper. My peace, I leave you. And in John 16, 
He goes on, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. But there's something we tend to get wrong about the Holy Spirit. Trying to discern the work of the Spirit alone, it's like grasping at an elephant in the dark. Our wisdom in isolation can only ever be in part. The guiding Spirit was never an individual gift. It's a collective gift, and we can only access it in its fullness in the context of diverse relationship because it is discernment in community which helps us to see the things that we miss from our vantage point. It's when we learn from those with different stories, perspectives, challenges, those that differ from our own that our scope widens, our perception widens. It's together that we begin to really understand where we've come from, where we are, and where we are going. It's a gift that we receive And more importantly, it's a gift that we join along with the Spirit in giving to one another. And so we ask, are are we practicing the humility of encountering and learning from those outside our, our normal, ordinary routines, outside our established comfort zones, outside of our echo chambers? And are we doing the important work of cultivating and maintaining relationships of vulnerability? And I get it, it's hard. Lowering our defenses, let alone opening up, it doesn't feel safe. Especially if that trust has not been held with care in the past, if there has been harm. But I have some bad news, which is secretly good news. If you follow Jesus, it means that you are part of what is called a cruciform community which means that we are shaped by the cross. You cannot travel this path, a path of vulnerability, and do so unscathed. This is a spoiler for the film, which I share with apologies. So all the while, Louise has been experiencing these these visions of the loss of her daughter. What she comes to realize after receiving the gift of this new sight is that her daughter hasn't been born yet. What she's been seeing is the future, what will happen, what cannot be stopped. And in the closing narration, we hear her say this, that that despite knowing the journey, knowing where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every minute of it. Echoes of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you're willing, take away this cup from me so I don't have to drink it. Yet, not my will, but thy will be done. Louise says yes, knowing that this unthinkable tragedy of losing her daughter is an absolute certainty. But that's the point. Because opening ourselves up to any relationship is opening ourselves up not to the possibility, but to the inevitability of grief. Some relationships will end in strife or distance. Some will end in death. Some will end 
without us understanding why, with little reason beyond the fact that, that seasons shift. But we embrace it. And we must embrace it anyway. We welcome that future pain, trusting that when we walk together, united, even in our, our messy difference, that the Holy Spirit will, will show us along the way what we're meant to see, what we're meant to receive, what we're meant to give. The Spirit will guide us into that deeper truth. It was an elephant all along. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.